Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. Still in California, about to head home. But what a trip it has been. But here's the thing. With these classic college football playoff semifinals that both came down to the last play, a national title game that's got a bunch of new blood in it, we got to concentrate on that, obviously. We've talked a ton about it. But the rest of college football has kept on moving. The transfer portal still open in some cases, and people who are in the transfer portal still looking for homes. You've got other bowl games going on. You've got new eras dawning. For some other teams that are going to be very excited, going to have that that bowl bump where we talk about them all offseason because they played great in the bowl game. That's going to happen. We may need to do some bowl bump rankings or maybe some some bowl terrible rankings as well, where you know some team had a horrific bowl game and now we're going to be down on them all offseason when they're really not that bad. I'm talking probably talking about you, Ohio State. That's that's probably you're the 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 poster child for that one. Uh, Tennessee, probably the poster child for the other direction on that one. And we'll talk to Brent Hubs from BallQuest later in this show about the dawn of the Nico Yamamelaba era because he looked pretty damn good in a 35-0 win against Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. But before we do that, before we dive deep into the final play of the Rose Bowl, because I that's one that everybody just kept coming up to me and asking me about after the game. Like Monday night, that was the biggest question I got from uh, family members, friends. What'd you think of the play call? What'd you think of that play? We're going way deep into that play with comments from Nick Saban, comments from Jim Harbaugh, and a little little film study as well. And it, it's it's pretty fascinating. But first, we got to talk about all the news that was going on while we were getting ready for these playoff games. And some potential news that we could be getting later this week that's a pretty big deal, transfer portal related, blue blood related. There's a lot going on. So, of course, you know what that means. You're going to get some Nacosifications. Pete Nacos, on three national reporter, joins us to talk about all that is going on in the portal right now. We have been delinquent in our duty to provide you with nacosifications. And we're going to fix that now. We've been so hyper-focused on the playoff games that all this stuff's going on in the transfer portal, Pete Nacos, and we've not gotten a chance to talk to you about it. Have you slept yet? Will you sleep ever? Hopefully. Yeah, that's the plan. (laughs) We'll see. We shall see. This week could get really crazy, in my opinion. Well, and that okay, is that because... Now we see all these really good teams finishing up their bowl games and there is a window like the, the transfer portal window closes unless you your team was playing past it. And now you have a few extra days, right? Right. I, I think the other thing, too, is you have 
this window of athletes who went in after the dead period started and now the dead period stops and they can go back on visits and i think we're going to have another slew of decisions and visits and things like that coming up the next 72 hours the one everybody's waiting on it you talked last week and and you know told us first that the will howard ohio state smoke was real uh will howard the former kansas state quarterback helped them to a big 12 title in 2022 is it still sort of trending that way for, for Will Howard and Ohio State? I still see it see it trending that way. I continue to talk to multiple sources who, who continue to say that Ohio State and Will Howard have had conversations. Um, maybe a commitment could be coming. Um, not ready to like full-blown say he's expected to commit, but I continue to hear that uh, Will Howard to Ohio State is very likely. Um, and Andy, you and I can talk about it, but, but how the Cotton Bowl went on yeah. Friday night, I think definitely um, made a lot of eyes open about the need for a quarterback possibly in 2024. Well, right. And Devin Brown gets hurt again during that game. We see Lincoln Keenholz, but I'm probably a bad situation for him to get yeah. thrown into. But but yes, my takeaway from, from watching that game was they may need a veteran to come in in 2024. He, look, you got Jeremiah Smith coming. Like You, you want to make sure you have a guy to get, get that guy the ball. Will Howard, if, if that's who it ends up being, a veteran quarterback who's played a lot of big games, who frankly has never been surrounded by that kind of talent before. You you, you saw him playing well. Like Deuce Vaughn was great, but yeah, the kind of guys that Ohio State can surround you with, it's a it's a different you know different league. Yeah, I mean, you look at the wide receivers, and then I think the other thing that you have to kind of bring in, like Ohio State loves Air Nolan, the quarterback coming in, in the twenty twenty four class. Um, yeah. But I think the other thing you have to think about, too, is like Devin Brown has had so many injuries. I think at this point, Ryan Day and his staff kind of feel that like it, it, they wouldn't be doing their due diligence without trying to bring in a veteran. And there were like the two weeks there where it didn't seem like they were going to bring anyone in. Um, but then the cotton ball played out the way it did. And I think that, that Will Howard is someone that Ryan Day has kind of always had his eye on um, since the beginning of the portal season. Yeah, Aaron Nolan, it's funny because we talk about Jeremiah Smith at receiver. We think we will contribute right away. But Aaron Nolan, you're asking a lot of a quarterback to come in and, and do that right away when you could possibly get a guy who's led a team to a you know a big twelve championship. Like that's a that feels like an easier move. But we'll right. we'll see what happens. And so you were on top of these. This is a this is stuff that all happened as we were hyper focused on the playoff games, but Cam Ward did make his decision, the Washington State quarterback who was in the transfer portal. He decides to go to the NFL. Meanwhile, that domino that falls after that is DJ Uyunglele commits to Florida State. Yeah. I mean, what a wild, like, 30 days, but also just a wild 48 hours leading up to that Cam Ward decision, right? Like, when he announced he was going to go in the portal, he really emphasized the NFL on his graphic, as, as multiple people have pointed out to me in his camp. And then, I mean, like, 48 hours before he – no, 24 hours before he – uh, made his decision to enter the NFL draft. I was told it was down to Miami or the NFL. I reported on that on New Year's Eve. And then I wake up the next morning and people were talking about Auburn being involved and uh, also confirmed that on my end. And I'm like, what is going on? And then 90 minutes later, he announces he's going to the NFL. So yeah, uh, that that decision from Cam Ward has really um, brought some clarity to the quarterback market. Um, but yeah, I mean, just that... that the whole Cam Ward saga is something I think we're going to be talking about in years to come with the portal um, and just how the NFL can play a factor. 
Well, and, and I'll be interested to see how he does. He's going to play in the Shrine Bowl, so we're going to get to see how he does against the you know NFL level competition. And it, it'll be interesting to see where he gets drafted because it did not seem like he he was going to be a super high draft pick. Like he wasn't trying to decide between a first or second round draft pick and going back to college. Like this is a little bit different story, and so this is going to keep playing out. And it's, it was part of Will Howard's process too. So we're still waiting to see if, if that affects Will Howard, but yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that works, but you know, Cam Ward visited Tallahassee, visited Florida state and DJ Uyunglele visited right after. And it felt like the Seminoles were kind of waiting to, to hear what Cam had to say before the DJ thing got consummated. Yeah. The, the, we talked about like those 24 hours, right? Like Florida state made the decision. I believe it was Saturday um, or Sunday, if you will, when Florida state just made the decision, like we're going to roll with DJ. He wants to be the guy. He can be the guy. Um, and yeah, Florida state made the decision to move on um, right before my, my timing's a little off Andy, but uh, yeah. it, Florida state made the decision to go with DJ. And then it kind of went down to Miami in the NFL um, for Cam Ward, obviously, okay. yeah. For Cam Ward, now you have Miami in this very peculiar position. Yeah, Miami still needs a quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke's off to Wisconsin. Uh, you've got Emory Williams, who was looked like the starter of the future. He gets hurt against Florida State. I, I would imagine that's still very much a possibility for them. But are they still an active player in the in the transfer portal? Because they certainly were looking around previously. They definitely are. Um, they've been in communication with Malachi Nelson. I mean, and that has been dating back to almost a week now um, from what my sources have told me. Um, KJ Jefferson was always going to be one to watch in, in Coral Gables. But then, like, right after Cam Warden DJ made their announcements, KJ was off to UCF, and that took another kind of uh, piece off the board, per se, for Miami. Um, there's also another one to watch, too, the UNLV quarterback. Uh, I believe the uh, Mountain West. Maiava, yeah, yeah. Maiava. Uh, Mountain West uh, Offensive Player of the Year is a true freshman. Um, I mean, he, he's going to be very intriguing for a lot of schools, and I know Miami definitely has interest there. So another guy or another school that, that had been looking around and, and USC met with Will Howard, I mean, it looked like Lincoln Riley was looking in the portal for his 2024 quarterback. We saw we saw Malachi Nelson jump into the portal. But after that holiday, perform, holiday Bowl performance from Miller Moss, it feels like, they may have their guy already, Pete. Yeah, I don't – I don't. just from people I've talked to, like there isn't a name that really pops up right now with USC. I mean, Lincoln Riley's been really open that he wants to bring someone young in. Um, Juju Lewis is class of 2026. or Yeah, class of 2026. So my point is that they don't really have a lot of quarterback talent coming up with the pipeline at the moment. So going uh, to the portal makes a lot of sense to add someone behind Miller Moss. But Lincoln Riley probably said it best himself after the holiday bowl. He said Miller may have just scared away all the competition for that starting job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he looked awesome. And that it is something that, that is, people should think about as they make their transfer portal decisions in the future. I, I thought that was really interesting because Miller Moss, given the circumstances, could have easily just thrown his name in the portal and gone somewhere else. But he wound up maybe winning that job. And, and I think, like Lincoln Riley said, scaring everybody off. But if Miller Moss had wanted to enter the portal the next day, I'd imagine there would have been a bunch of people ready to snap him up. Right, right. It just 
just a testament of like what the portal is and isn't. I mean, the same thing happened with a Western Kentucky quarterback who had a, a great performance in a bowl game, and now he's staying Reed. with the yeah. Hills Opera. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, just just really interesting to see how the portal comes about, and bowl games are all of a sudden like exhibitions, but also an awesome opportunity to show what your worth is. Or the opposite, and I think right. you know which school I'm going to here. You know, we we talked before the the Music City Bowl about Hugh Freeze's rhetoric seemed to be that that Peyton Thorne's the guy for 2024, that they're very happy with him. They get smoked by Maryland, and all of a sudden it feels like Auburn is a player again in the quarterback transfer portal market. Yeah, Auburn's in a also a very interesting position. I mean, Auburn came up right away with Riley Leonard. Obviously, Riley's at uh, Notre Dame now, but Auburn was in the mix there um, real quick, and, and obviously with things – the way things went this weekend, they're kind of back on the market. Um, we heard about the Cam Ward Auburn trying to get in. Um, just a quick explanation behind that. Like Hugh Freeze and Cam Ward had a relationship from the first time in his transfer portal. Um, Cam looked at Liberty um, and, and Hugh and Cam got to know each other then. But yeah, definitely really interesting to see what Auburn, what kind of move they're going to make. Um, they definitely want a quarterback. Yeah, we'll we'll see what they do because I, I remember talking to Hugh Hugh Freeze at the Senior Bowl last year, and he said that it's very important to get his his Auburn version of Bo Wallace. And for those who don't remember, Bo Wallace was a JUCO quarterback that Hugh got when he got to Ole Miss, and Bo was kind of the stabilizing force on that on that team on that roster until they started bringing in like the serious talent, the Laramie Tunsil, Robert Kimbichi class, and. You know, you saw Bo Wallace beat Alabama in, in, in 2014, but that's the sort of thing he's looking for. I think he hoped Peyton Thorne was going to be that guy, but I'm I'm thinking they're wondering if that's going to happen. I mean, and he has some great wide receiver talent coming in too, and I think that just almost leads to Hugh feeling the need to go get someone, especially if Peyton isn't the guy, and, and we saw the cracks in that against Maryland. So what, what can we expect? You mentioned that, that dead period's over. So guys that are in the portal are going to be taking visits now that, that maybe weren't going to be taking them before. Do we have any more surprise entries here in these next couple of days after the, the, the window for the guys who played in bowl games? I think there's some really intriguing quarterbacks at like the group of five level um, that I know a lot of like uh, blue bloods per se have a lot of interest in right now. And uh, do they go in? Do they not go in? I think that's going to, kind of define the next 48 hours or so in the final slate of transfer portal entries. And then on top of that, Andy, right, you have the NCAA putting the new uh, five-day pass, like, a game for, like, the teams that were playing college football playoff in late in the year six. So um, with Alabama and Texas losing, there could be another wave there. Um, Ohio State's window is still open. LSU's is still open. So just – Gonna be interesting to watch the portal and how it kind of plays out the next 24, 48 hours. Well, and, and meanwhile, Washington and Michigan are sitting there, right? Uh, wait, waiting on it. But uh, let, let's talk about the, the the national title matchup and how the portal affected that. Because I, I have a segment later in the show where we're talking about the last play of the Alabama Michigan game and Josiah Stewart, who they Michigan got from Coastal Carolina, makes a massive play. Uh, like his his role in that play cannot be understated. Uh, he's just one of those guys that I don't know that a lot of people knew much about him, but he was an incredible pickup in the transfer portal. Uh, meanwhile, their, their center, Drake Nugent, uh, Ladarius Henderson, their left tackle, came from the portal. 
Washington has Michael Penix Jr., who not this year, but last year came from the portal. Dylan Johnson, the running back from Mississippi State. It, it really has affected how you build a roster. And by the way, these two teams, not top five type high school mm-hmm. recruiting teams. And they're playing for the national title. No, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this, but I think what Michigan and Washington really show off is how the portal is that version of NFL free agency in the sense of like, if you go in it, knowing what positions you need to fill, it can be the the best spot to reload. Um, I think we've also seen though, how only taking athletes from the portal, the build a roster maybe isn't the best way you need the good mm-hmm. mesh of school and portal. And, and I mean, Michigan and Washington are both good testaments of that, right? You think of, what uh, Jim Harbaugh's built around J.J. McCarthy, but at the same time, right, J.J. was a, a, a highly touted quarterback coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to get your J.J. McCarthy's and your Will Johnson's, but you also have to get your Josiah Stewart's. And I actually heard a story that there was a, there's an alternate history where Mikey Sainer still at Michigan, who's one of their, you know, one of their great DBs, doesn't convert to DB from receiver, but instead transfers to go play receiver elsewhere and they kept him and so that the retention piece of it's just as important yeah yeah i mean retention is the name of the game now right with nil and collectives and everything and uh michigan and washington are both schools who have pretty strong collectives and obviously uh michigan did the like return for another year fund that that brought blake quorum back for another year yeah yeah and blake quorum as we know he had a very, role. very important. Yeah. yeah. One of the best runs I have ever seen. That's one of those that I, I just, I was on the goal line, watched him twist his way in. I've, you, you talk about someone who would not be denied. And he, you're right. When, when he did that deal and he announced he was coming back, he said, This is why I'm coming back. They made it, it made it come true. And now we're going to see them in Washington play for a national title. Transfer Portal had an awful lot to do with that. Pete Nakos, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Andy. That's Pete Nakos, and he's busy, busy, busy. And like he said, the next 48 hours could get very interesting. We'll obviously keep you up to date on that as we get ready for this incredible national title game with two teams that have not been on this stage in quite some time. Before we talk about how Michigan got there on that final play, I'm going to tell you about FanDuel. They're the ones who give us all those lines, that four-and-a-half-point Michigan favorite opening line. That's from FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash staples is how you sign up. And if you place a $5 bet, you get $150 in guaranteed bonus bets. There's going to be some fun action on this game. You'll be able to, to bet it live. And, of course, you've got the NFL, you've got the NBA, you've got college basketball if they got a scoreboard, FanDuel probably is going to let you put some action on it. FanDuel.com slash staples. Sign up, place one $5 bet, and get $150 in guaranteed bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash staples. Now, let's talk about how Michigan put itself in the national title game. It came down to a fourth and goal play on the three-yard line in overtime. Alabama. Tried to put the ball in its best player's hands. Michigan blew it up. This is how it all went down. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Let's talk about Alabama's last play. I think we need to go in-depth on this one because this is one that's gotten a lot of debate. This is one, a lot of argument over, did Alabama make the right play call? What was the intent of this play? What did Michigan do to stop it? I also think you can kind of tell a lot of things about college football in 2023, I guess 2024 now, with this play because the cast of characters involved here very emblematic of, of how things work now. And I think we will we'll start out and we'll just take a look at the snap. I think that the, every play starts with the snap. The snap was a big deal here. Seth McLaughlin is Alabama's center. I'm not going to pile on him too much. He's been piled on enough as it is. But he had issues snapping all season. There were a lot of issues with snaps in the Rose Bowl where they were low and they were coming in at, at Jalen Milrow's shins, sometimes his shoe tops. And you got to understand when a snap comes in low like that, the quarterback has to get his eyes down and concentrate on catching the ball. Typically in a shotgun, the quarterback is getting the ball in basically the same spot every time. And he and the center kind of work out what that's going to be in the off season. And the center is usually going to hit that spot Almost every time. There'll be times when it'll move a little bit, especially given the quality of the player in front of the center. But usually it's coming in about the same place, and the quarterback does not have to drop his eyes to catch the ball or concentrate on catching the ball. It just becomes a matter of instinct. And in this case, Jalen Milrow spent a lot of Monday night reaching down to catch the ball, looking down to catch the ball. And when you do that, you lose a fraction of a second. And when you look back up, then you have to adjust your, your line of vision to everything you see. And as you saw in that last play, things got muddled very quickly. And so when he looks up, it's a problem. Now, I mentioned this has been an issue all season in Alabama. And your next question is probably, okay, so why didn't they do anything about it? You can't do anything about it if you don't have somebody else that you're confident in can snap and then block. You know, there, There's two parts to the center's job, snap, then block. Seth McLaughlin is capable of blocking most of the time the monsters that SEC teams or a Michigan will put in front of you. But Alabama didn't have anybody else that they felt confident in could get a snap back there and then block. In 2012 and 2015, that's probably different because Alabama's probably deeper on the offensive line because they can stockpile. But in the age of NIL, in the age of the transfer portal, if you have capable offensive linemen, they are going to go find a place they can play. They're not going to sit around for three years. They might hang out for two, but they're not going to sit around for longer than that. And so it does affect the depth of some of the top teams. So this is a situation where Alabama, they were doing the best they could with the player who gave them the best chance, but this was the situation they were in. And you have a big problem 
from the get-go on that play because the snap is low. Now let's take a look at one particular matchup at the beginning of the play. So here's Jalen Milrose taking the snap, and you've got J.C. Latham, one of Alabama's best players, probably their best offensive lineman. He's the right tackle. He's matched up on Josiah Stewart. So who is Josiah Stewart? Josiah Stewart is a transfer from Coastal Carolina. He was an outstanding player for the Chanticleers, and his last year, he decided to go to Michigan. Now, the reason he decided to go to Michigan, the Coastal Carolina staff left and went to Liberty. He actually had a chance to leave before that, but liked playing for Jamie Chadwell and company, so he stayed with them for another year. But here's the interesting piece of this. So Josiah Stewart, same high school, Everett High School in Massachusetts, as Isaiah Likely, the former Coastal Carolina tight end who now plays for the Baltimore Ravens. Also the same high school as Mikey Sanders still, the Michigan DB, who used to be a wide receiver. And so... This is where a lot of this sort of comes together. So why does he wind up at Michigan? Well, his, his former high school teammate, Mikey Sanders, still plays for the Wolverines. And if you watch this play, this becomes a very important matchup. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. So as the play gets going, you've got Jaden Roberts, Alabama's left guard, number 77. He's pulling to the left. So he is trying to move to the left, get the last man on the line of scrimmage. This is quarterback power, basically, is this play. Now, a lot of questions about what's going on with Roy Dale Williams, the, the Bama back. You see him circled out there wide. I'm not sure if this was a if there was an option for, for Jalen Miller to throw it to him. It probably disappeared with the low snap if it was. But that's one of those situations where I think they were just still going to run it with Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow was not, they're not running tons of RPOs with Jalen Milrow. That wasn't part of Alabama's game this season. That was, this was probably Jalen Milrow was supposed to run this ball in. And if you look at the way they were blocking it, the hole probably was supposed to be to the left. So you've got the, the right guard pulling, supposed to clean out the last man on the line of scrimmage. Then you've got guys blocking down, so C.J. Dippery's the tight end. He's number 81. We'll, we'll go back to the snap. So you look on the left of the line of scrimmage. you got C.J. Dippery, and then you've got Caden Proctor, the left tackle, and you've got Tyler Booker, the left guard. Those guys have good angles. They should be able to move their guys or at least shield them off, and then Roberts is going to come in and clean that out, which should open a hole. What messes that up? is C.J. Dippery trying to block Derek Moore. Now, Derek Moore is the Michigan edge on the left side of the screen. Derek Moore senses that he's supposed to get blocked down upon, and he gets real big and real low, and he does not move. He clogs that hole up. It's a pretty impressive job by him because C.J. Dippery has a great angle on him, and he just gets in there and clogs it up. And that makes it a big problem when you have what's going on to his left, to our right on the screen. So you've got Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant, the two Michigan defensive tackles. Graham is being blocked by Tyler Booker. Grant is being blocked by Seth McLaughlin. 
Now, Mason Graham and, and, and Kenneth Grant are fantastic defensive tackles. Now, I, I thought it was interesting because there were two timeouts before this play, one called by Alabama, one called by Michigan. And I remember before the play was run, Michigan changes out its personnel package. And you see Chris Jenkins, one of their best defensive tackles, coming off the field, and he kind of waves to his teammates as he goes off the field like, you got this, guys. But when you think about it, Mason Graham, who had that incredible submarine play to tackle Jace McClellan earlier in overtime. He's great. He's going to be a top 100 NFL draft pick. Kenneth Grant, who if you watched the Sunday show, you saw my interview with Kenneth Grant. If you watched the Michigan-Penn State game, you saw him chase down Katron Allen. Kenneth Grant is the best, freakiest player in this game on either team. So he's the one that Seth McLaughlin has to block. And then you've got Josiah Stewart on the other side of them with J.C. Latham. And so you get this thing where Graham's not moving. Grant's not moving. And then Josiah Stewart deposits J.C. Latham on the ground in front of Jalen Milrow. There's no chance this play's going to work. No chance whatsoever. And it's a, it's a great job by everybody on the Michigan defensive front. Derek Moore and Josiah Stewart, especially the two edges, because the D tackles, they did a great job because the O-linemen were, that were blocking them had great angles on them, and they didn't move. They couldn't get them out of the hole. But what Derek Moore did is even more impressive because he took up so much space and then what Josiah Stewart did is he just dropped a grenade in the whole play. It had no shot. Absolutely no shot to work. And it was a great play. Let us hear now from Nick Saban about the Alabama side of that last play. Uh, we called three plays. Um, one they called timeout. One we called timeout. And the last one that didn't work. So the fact that it didn't work made it a really bad call. You know what I mean? So um, but we called timeout because we had a bad look. We had a good look on the first one. Uh, they must have known it. Um, but Tommy just felt like the best thing that we could do uh, was have a quarterback run. Uh, which was kind of our two-point play, one of our two-point plays for this game. And the ball was on the three-yard line, which is just like a two-point play. So, But we didn't get it blocked, so it didn't work. We didn't execute it very well, and it didn't work. And they pressured, and we thought they would pressure, uh, but we thought we could gap them and block, block them and make it work, and it didn't. So that answers your, your Roy Dale Williams question. Was there an option there to throw? Probably not. That was probably supposed to be a QB power all the way. And I don't fault Tommy Reese for going with that. That is Alabama's best player on offense, getting the ball in that situation. That's who you want to have the ball. And if you talk about the blocking scheme on that play, they got good angles. They've got a puller who should be able to clean out the last man of the line of scrimmage. There should be a hole open. Michigan just played it really well. It, it was a... It was a fantastic job by Derek Moore, by Mason Graham, by Kenneth Grant, and by Josiah Stewart. 
they did what they weren't supposed to be able to do because in, in the case of three of them, well, actually in the case of all of them, their blocker had an angle on them, but they just made a great play. Now let's hear Jim Harbaugh and Michigan linebacker Junior Colson explaining how they saw that final play. That last play when Alabama had the ball, it looks like you guys went back and forth with timeouts. What did you see? And then when they finally snapped the ball, what did you guys see on defense? Yeah, we, we, we just had everybody in there. It was everybody. It was, uh, it was you know, we call it Twister, and uh, I mean, it was everybody, everybody there, everybody to the ball. I mean, similar to Alabama, man. Every time you get inside the five-yard line, I mean, they, they're, they're in zero every down. And uh, our favorite, my favorite play, <laughs> our favorite play, me JJ's favorite play, uh, you know, got us in the end zone there when we really needed it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were just, it was just, we were just all out selling out and, uh, you know, playing for that. Well, let, let Junior, go ahead, Junior, why don't you describe it? Uh, we were playing cover zero, you know, uh, you know, coach was telling us, you know, all the time, like, you know, this is the moment we were built for. This is the moment where we were, you know, we could come out here and play for. And uh, we knew exactly what was going to happen. You know, it's like when, when the moments get tough, who, who you go to? You always go to your best player, and they went to their best player. And we were right there to stop it, you know. So we were just we sent the house, you know, I said, it's fourth down, it's one last play. Everybody strain, everybody strain to the ball. So you got to read a, a little bit of tea leaves with Jim Harbaugh. He can go a little off topic sometimes. When he's talking about J.J. McCarthy's favorite play, and he's smacking J.J. McCarthy on the thigh, I think he's talking about Alabama being in cover zero when J.J. McCarthy hit Roman Wilson for the touchdown at the end of regulation when they were deep in the red zone, when they were on the goal line, and they got Roman Wilson open, and it was actually a pretty easy throw for J.J. McCarthy to make. But you heard Twister. That's what they call the that that defensive call. And they really did get everybody in there. And it, it, it created almost a tornado in the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I, I just, we talk about how much it matters in the trenches. And, you know, the question about who was the more talented team in this game, I think these teams were very close in talent. But I would give the Michigan defensive line an edge over the Alabama offensive line. We talked about that before the game. We were talking with, with Richard Johnson from Sports Illustrated. We were talking about how it felt like both defensive lines maybe were a little better than both offensive lines. But I will say that Michigan's offensive line held up better against Alabama's D-line than Alabama's O-line held up against Michigan's D-line. And on that particular play, with the game on the line, it made all the difference. Michigan's D-line came up huge and that's why that play got blown up so the wolverines head to houston to play washington for the national title game on the field at the rose bowl i caught up with chris ballas of the wolverine to discuss how michigan got there and what to expect in this next week joined by chris ballas on the field at the rose bowl ballas Michigan was done. 
Yeah. They were fourth down right there, right right where the stage is yeah. that they celebrated winning the Rose Bowl. They had a fourth down, and if they didn't make it, they were done. They were, and they had not moved the ball, and they were stagnant. What, they have 40 yards through yeah. about, uh, the second quarter and a half or something like that? Yep. And, and really, this is the second time that Nick Saban's made great adjustments against Jim Harbaugh in a bowl game in the second half. And you know what? You thought, okay, do they have one in them here? It was hard to really have faith in that. So, But give credit to J.J. McCarthy. Give credit to Blake Corum, yeah. who played his best football at the end I, there. I do feel like this was a case of, the best players emerging at the right time. Right. It was, a, it was, you know, it was a throw to Blake Corum, and Blake did most of the work on that fourth down right. play yeah. to to get the corner. And, and you know, they they get called for the block in the back, right. but he'd already gone far enough to get the first down, right. even after the penalty. So yeah. it was it was that, and then Corum in overtime. Like that that last touchdown run is one of the more amazing runs I've ever seen a person. I was stationed along the goal line, and just to watch him twist and turn yeah. and fight. Yeah wrote that he was not going to be denied. And that's the Blake Corum that we saw most of last year yeah. before he got hurt. And we hadn't seen a whole lot through much of this year. But yeah. uh, really to emerge at this point, he's as healthy as he's been in a month, and you can see it on that run. Well, and, and the defense needs to get some credit, too, because it, it, throughout the whole game they were harassing Jalen Milrow. They, yeah. they gave him all kinds of problems. Probably some, some bad snaps right. contributed to that. But they were in his face at all times. And there was a, there was a play where Brandon Graham just came straight up the middle and, and swallowed him up uh, at the last play of the game. Is Kenneth, Kenneth Grant? Kenneth Grant yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Mason Graham. Yeah, it was both yeah, of them. Mason Graham, Kenneth, yeah. Kenneth said he's happy with the, uh, with the half tackle. Yeah. On that. He said Mason got him first. Yeah. Kenneth fell on him. Yeah. But that was, a, that was fourth and three, yep. fourth and goal from the three. It's, it's a, a game. It's essentially a two-point conversion play, which I remember thinking as, uh, during the timeout, you know, Alabama has a whole playbook for this right. because everybody has a playbook of two-point conversion right. plays from the right hash. Yep. So if you're for the offense in that situation, you have an advantage there. Yep. And that was just a pure, I'm going to beat this guy in front of me right. by Kenneth Grant and Mason Graham. Yep. And it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I yeah. asked Jesse Minner, Michigan's defensive coordinator, about that in the locker room. And he said, we were bringing everybody up. We had our receivers and man coverage. He said, J Junior Colson, the linebacker, got to the back. And he said, we just sent our guys at him. And uh, you know what? It was a battle of wills. And, and you just kind of had the sense right there on fourth yeah. and three that they're going to rise to the occasion. Well, and that's, the, that's the, the what the situation you would expect to, to have. Because just as Michigan gave it to Blake Corum in overtime, Alabama's going to put it in Jalen Milrow's hands in overtime. Right. Like that's that's the best player on the field exactly. for them. That's who they're going to give it to. And yeah, it was it was pretty spectacular because there were times where it felt like you know early it felt like it was slipping away from Alabama. Yeah. They come grab the momentum back. Yeah. And then it was slipping away from Michigan. It they was. come grab it back. And this is that's what you want in this this kind of high stakes game. But for Michigan. It feels like they sort of exercised some demons of the past two years. They did, and they didn't play a great game. And special teams were mm -hmm. terrible, and they left yep. a lot of plays out there. And right starting with the they punt. missed an extra point. They missed an extra point yeah. that would have been the difference in the game yep. had they not gone to overtime. And then they missed a 49-yard field goal. Yep. And, and okay, so this has not been how they've been playing all year. And JJ McCarthy missed some throws that he would normally make. So, yep. but to play your best ball at the end there on the last drive, and then to bring it to overtime like they did, and uh, two-play drive, you know, you go to your bell cow, Blake. Yeah. Warm. Well, and that's the thing. I mean. Nobody's going to come away from this saying the wrong team won. Right. They're, they're going to say this: these two teams gave each other their best shot. Yep. Michigan won. They're off to play for the national title. We, the Sugar Bowl is being played as we record this, so we don't know who they're going to play right. yet. But when you think about going through this season, you know, six games without Jim Harbaugh, yeah. all of the, the, the controversy, all of the, the stories about the, the sign stealing, all the accusations, NCAA investigations, double – Right. Big Ten investigation. Right. 
Did you think they'd be able to, to get through that to get to here? I did not, and I'll be honest. I picked them to beat Penn State and Ohio State, but with Sharon Moore, what a job he did. Yep. And then these kids putting that noise behind them. You can see the body language against Penn State, for example, when they went out there and Jim Harbaugh had just gotten the TRO yeah. rejected, and they are like, okay, now what do we do? They came out a little sluggish, but there's so much talent and veteran talent on this team and uh, that they really got the job done. Well, and done. I think that's a big difference. You know, people – I heard a lot of people talk about two years ago – that Georgia team from two years ago is a completely different animal Unreal. than anybody in this playoff this year. Yep. Like this playoff, all four teams going in could win it. Right. And you know, you saw the the difference in talent between Michigan and Alabama was pretty negligible. It was. They were bigger, but I thought Michigan was stronger and faster at some positions, yeah. especially in the trenches. And when they started getting to them early, I thought, okay, we're gonna have a ball game here. Yeah. So now Alabama did run the ball in the second half like I thought they might yep. and had some success, but then Michigan really adjusted. Well, this is one of those where, where both D lines we felt like were pretty good. Yep. Both O lines had been suspect at times. Right. I think Michigan's offensive line played a much better game than Alabama's did tonight. I think they did as well, and it surprises me, I'll be honest, without Zach Center and the way they've played all year. But they stepped up and I thought Alabama's ceiling yep. was higher it yep. turned out it wasn't I, and obviously you don't want to lose Zach Zinner but it does feel like Carson Barnhart better at guard he is and you know Trente Jones comes in at tackle yep and the, the five they've got out there now seem capable of, of blocking anybody you put in front of them now they're going to get whoever they wind up getting right. they're going to get some some they dudes are. they are and I but I was stunned at how well they did against their edges I thought mm -hmm. that might be the difference in the game yep. they've got two guys that are going to be playing on Sundays yeah and uh, they had a tough tough time with Chop Robinson remember oh yeah absolutely they got two of these guys yep. out there, but what a job those guys did. Yeah, Ladarius Henderson and Trente Jones did a great job. And and JJ uh, McCarthy was asked about it after the game, and he said uh, Brad Nessler, the the CBS announcer, had called him up and said, "Hey, watch out for 15 and 41." He's talking about Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. Right, right. And JJ McCarthy goes, "I didn't feel them all game." They didn't, and I was stunned. That was yeah. to me was probably the most stunning part of this football game. But credit to these guys. These guys are veterans, man, and they wanted to. They really needed to get to that next step, right, to legitimize yeah. themselves as an elite program. Yep. And credit to them to doing that. And so they get an interesting situation there's this has happened a couple of other times at least one other time i think the alabama georgia national title game was like this where semifinal monday yeah title game monday yeah. and it's so it's almost like a real game week now and and you get into to the normal prep so jim harbaugh was asked the question at the end of the press conference rachel bachman from the wall street journal goes is could this national title game be your last game at michigan and jim harbaugh said the only thing in my future is a happy flight home to Ann Arbor, <laughs> Michigan. And so it's going to be probably business as it usual is. for the next it's few days. Be, and I'll yeah. say this, so it's going to be the usual January that we have to go through. With, yep. You know what? And if he were to win a national championship here, even getting this to this point, he wanted to go to the, and chase the Super Bowl, then you know what? More power to him. Well, who's got a national title and a Super Bowl? Nobody. Who's got, got who's got it better than them right now? Exactly. So, and give him credit, you know, for, with everything that he's gone through and and kind of keeping his wits about him and everything else. And uh, uh, you know what? I think the narrative has kind of at least died down a little bit about the sign stealing. And that yeah, was I think I, that's right? going to come back as yeah, the investigation comes back sure. and more news. When something happens, but sure. that's not going to happen till the offseason. Right. Exactly. So right now it's about football. Right. And this is a team that has a chance to win a national exactly. title. Exactly. And not just because of sign stealing, like <laughs> a lot of people would like to think. Alabama was huddling up in the third quarter. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, exactly. What do they, what do they know? Out? What do they know? No, yeah, it's, yeah. this is one of those. I think. I think both teams gave each other their best shot. They did. Michigan was just better. Yeah, and a lot of people thought that this would be exactly this kind of game. I thought I had the score wrong. I had 27-20. I had Alabama, Alabama winning. <laughs> but you know what? Credit to Michigan. Uh, I Wait, said. You know I'd who love did know? Who did? Vegas. Vegas did know because everybody was saying. Not the same only thing. did was Michigan favored. Michigan was favored by a point and a half for most of the week. Yep. The whales came in they on did. Monday, pushed that line to two and a half. Yeah. 
They knew. They did. We know. didn't know. They knew. Exactly. You and I were talking about this yep. before the game, and we saw all the SEC teams wreaking havoc on the, oh, on the yeah. Big Ten teams. We thought, okay, you know what? Now this is the SEC's best. I think Georgia's probably a better team. Alabama just got them. And at the well, right and time. That, this is a great example of, of the way the playoff is now right. versus what it'll be like next year. Yes. Because this game might have happened, yep. but then Michigan may be going. Uh oh, Georgia's still out exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> so. Now we got to go to Georgia. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Credit to them. And uh, you could see how euphoric they were, but now they understand that they've yeah. got one more to win, right? And you hope that they aren't too high that they don't take I, the next I, one. And I don't think they will. I think having so many players on this team who lost a couple semifinals, yes. I think they understand if they do get two up, th that they will have a problem in that game. Right. That, and that. You know, it feels like both teams were rusty and kind of nervous. They were in this game. Absolutely. So maybe, maybe having played now for the first time in a month, and right. then these the two teams that are playing for the national title get a you know, just a week between. Right. Maybe we get a sharp and just everybody clicking the whole time. I don't know. It's gonna be hard to beat the intensity of this. Unreal. But you never know. Even with the fans going back and forth like that. Oh, Dixieland yeah. delight. You had Mr. Brightside on oh, the other yeah. side. What an atmosphere, man. This is. It doesn't get any better than this. Two songs about <laughs> stuff we probably probably shouldn't be looking at. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? It was beautiful tonight. It was fun. <laughs> Absolutely it was. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate you bet. it. Thanks, Stapes. Appreciate All it, bro. All right. Beautiful. Thanks to Chris Ballas of the Wolverine. We will reconnect with him in Houston. But now let us talk about one of the other bowl games from New Year's Day that was flying under the radar because the playoff games were so massive, but it's not flying under the radar. For the Tennessee fan base, the Vols are very excited because it is Nico time in Tennessee. The quarterback that was promised, Nico Oyama Mayalava, delivered in his first start against Iowa. It was a 35-0 win, and the Vols look great now. It wasn't just Nico. In fact, we're going to talk about the guy who probably is the actual best player on Tennessee's team going into 2024 with Brent Hubbs of VolQuest. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Of course, yeah, we got to talk about Nico first. We are joined now by the great Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com. And Brent is back home from Orlando and the Vols. A very happy group of people because we saw the debut as the starter of Nico Iyamamealava, and it could not have gone any better. A 35-0 win where Nico ran for three touchdowns, threw very efficiently against a very good defense. And, and Brent, how, how happy were the Vols, coaches, players, fans leaving Orlando? Well, I, I think excited uh, about the – happy and obviously excited about the future, Andy. And, and I think it's beyond the number. Uh, you know, the numbers that he put up and they were solid numbers. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, he didn't hit a big, you know, a big long one or, or anything like that, but it, his legs were important. But the bigger thing was he didn't have to call a timeout. Um, there wasn't a delay game penalty. They played with tempo. Uh, everybody seemed to be on the, the same page. He never seen the game never seemed too fast for him pre-snap post-snap or, or anything like that. And, 
you know, I think when you talk about good quarterback play, we all know how vital it is in college football in the NFL. It starts first and foremost with game management. And I thought mm-hmm. Nico managed the game really well. Did he have the did he have the wow throw? Maybe he didn't have the wow throws where you're like, holy what a you know, laser rocket, whatever. But the the game never seemed too fast. The moment never seemed too fast for him, which I think for Tennessee fans is a uh, a really nice starting point for 2024. Well, we talked about the pressure he'd be under and also the the issue of facing such a good defense in your first start. But I do think Tennessee's defense helped out. Iowa's offense and its uh, usual futility helped out. But I, once Tennessee got that pick in the end zone, you were like, okay, I don't know that Iowa's going to get back here all day. It probably did give them some comfort in terms of just what they could do with Nico. Yeah, I think it did. And, and they got the ground game going a little bit there, um, which was important. And, and obviously the the running game in Josh Heupel's system is really not talked about enough probably in terms of its key to the offense's success. But they got that going. They, they That's the most yards Iowa's given up all year on the ground. And I, I think that helped everything, you know, going along. But but again, I mean, he was Nico was under pressure. He was sacked six times. One, maybe two of those were on him, but the others were not. He did not have a ton of time out there, but he took care of the ball. I mean, you're sitting there with that game at 14 to nothing, Andy, and you're going, the only way Tennessee loses is if Tennessee does something crazy. If they turn it over, you know, you, you, you're you loose with the football on a scramble and you get the ball knocked loose. If you're the quarterback or you throw one up, you know, in harm's way under pressure – and he just didn't do that. He managed the game, and, and I know that's such a bad word And, and when you talk about quarterback play, but he really did. He was smart with the football all day long, which I don't think you see all the time with, with young quarterbacks, freshman quarterbacks. I don't think we've seen it the entire bowl season. There's been some freshmen out there who have had some moments where they're just freshmen with the football, and he didn't seem to have any of those. And Dylan Sampson, who had been pushing for this kind of role all season – Got it, and 20 carries for 133 yards is pretty good. It's the quietest 133 yards you'll ever see. Like, it's one of those deals where he popped a couple of runs for 15 yards. Hey, good run, whatever. And then you look up, and it's like, okay, he's gone for 133. And, and there just wasn't – I mean, it was just really steady Eddie. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think Dylan is a guy who's got to continue to improve his pass pro. I think that's something that coming out of this game – you're reminded of that's a continued area of growth for him, but he runs bigger than his body is. I think a great off season for him in the weight room means the sky's, you know, potentially the limit for him. Uh, they had him on a screen pass. If they hit the screen pass, it's a touchdown. Uh, I will be very anxious to see how they use Dylan Sampson in the passing game next year, because he's a much better receiver than Jalen Wright or Jabari small is who, who's been Tennessee's, focal point at tailback to the last couple of years. How does Josh Heupel, Joey Hosley, and Nico incorporate the tailback, you know, with the running back passing game or into the passing game? going to be fun to watch in 24. So we're going to be talking about Nico and that offense, I think, most of the offseason. But I imagine the NFL people are going to be focusing on James Pierce oh. most of this offseason because he's, he's going to be draft eligible after next season. He showed again why he might be Tennessee's best player. Yeah, and, and the thing about James is, I mean, you look at his stat line and his three tackles, a sack, forced to fumble, interception, um, which is a good stat line, don't get me wrong. But when you watch the game, he affects the defense or affects the offense 
in so many different ways, just because you have to find him and you have to be aware of him. You have to chip, you have to help. So much of your focus is there. It opens up guys for other opportunities. Uh, he affects the game much greater than his numbers show up. But I'm going to tell you what, in seven defensive snaps, he turned a 14-0 game into a 28-0 game. And, and I, I've used this comparison because I think their body types are a little are a little bit similar. He's a, He's got a little bit of Micah Parsons in him, mm-hmm. you know, Andy, just in terms of his body type. But there's been a couple of plays this year that he's made. The pick six this year or in this game, and he had another game earlier in the year. Maybe it's against A&M, I think it was, where he tackled Evan Stewart or somebody on a crossing deal that was like, how in the world do you at that size make that play? He, he can really play in space. He's not just a one-trick pony edge pass rush guy, which is why NFL scouts are foaming at the mouth of him. Well, and I'm I'm curious to see what happens with another offseason for him because he was a huge year one to year two jump. Now, I'd imagine there's probably not that much room between here and the ceiling, but there's still room and it's going to be uh it's going to be fun to see what they do with him next year. Yeah. And I mean, I think he's a guy that could move him around a little bit. I mean, you really could stand him up. You could, you could blitz him in the a gap. They ran a lot of twists with him this year. He can speed rush. He plays the run a little better than I think people give him credit for. Cause he plays w- with really good hands. He's pretty physical with his hands. He's got long arms. You put another, eight pounds on him and put him at 250 to 255. I tell you what, going to be a really fun player to watch play. Uh, the thing he's got to do is he's got to stay really focused because everybody's in his ear right now, right? I mean, it's going to be all the talk about how much you're going to make and where you're going to be drafted and all that kind of stuff. But he has set himself up for a potential great third year in college football and and, and a potential early call on draft night in the NFL draft because much like quarterbacks, offensive tackles, defensive coordinators, scouts in the NFL are looking for one thing, and that's the guy who can get to the quarterback, mm-hmm. who can affect the game the way he can, um, makes him a really hot commodity. going to be fun to watch. You, you talk about James Pearson and, and putting on weight. I'm curious about Nico because he's so tall and lanky, but if you meet his family, they're big people. You know, His dad is 300 pounds plus. Right. It feels like as Nico fills out that that his effectiveness as a runner becomes even more interesting. And especially after a game where he scored three touchdowns on the ground to think if he does, you know, physically mature a little bit, he's a true dual threat. Yeah. And, and I think, it, you know, he's put on about 15 pounds since he's been at Tennessee, maybe 18 pounds, somewhere in that range. It doesn't really look like it because he's six, six, as you mentioned, but when you watch him run, He's a little more slippery than you think. Um, he, he had the one touchdown where he got popped really good at the goal line. Josh Heupel kind of met him about the hash marks and was kind of like, hey, that's great. <laughs> but you know what? Let's throw that one there, okay? We're trying to get it to tight end. If it's not there, you can throw that one away and we'll live to, to play another play. So how they use him in the run game I think is going to be interesting. The first touchdown was a scheme play because I would seen him play 54 snaps and had no idea he could run a quarterback draw the way that he did. He's got a lot of burst, okay? There's a real acceleration to him, and I think that's what can make him a good uh, running quarterback. That was something Hendon Hooker had. That wasn't Joe's greatest strength, right? Joe was a guy who had to get three or four steps in, Andy, before he got going. That's not the case with Nico. Well, and I remember watching his high school film, 
and being impressed by the fact because he was, you know, in high school, six, six, like one ninety. He was very thin, but was a physical runner even then. And you, you can imagine what he ultimately winds up being. We're probably talking about a 225, 230 pound guy that with if you already have that mentality, plus you, you're pretty fast. That makes things very interesting once you're at the next level. Well, and the thing he does, too, that I think his game will grow as it slows down a little bit. Now, he, he took care of the ball yesterday, but you know the game was fast at times for him. I don't I don't care what any he says or anybody else says. It's just natural. But I think the thing that you look with him, he, he keeps his eyes downfield. He's kind of not one of those drop-your-head-and-run guys, like mm-hmm. taking off and that's it. So, And I'm not calling him Patrick Mahomes, but we've seen this in the RPO game stuff. If you're a lineman, you probably aren't going to just take off downfield because he could be a guy who looks like he's getting ready to take off and, boom, might just dump it over the top of somebody or or, or a little sidearm somebody to to create an improv there. I just think everybody's got to be careful, including us, right? This time of year ago, it was the the Joe Milton train was coming down the tracks. Here we are and all that stuff. So I want to pump the brakes myself a little bit on, okay, What's he going to be? It's going to be this, that, the other. But man, he was in total control yesterday. It was, there's nothing about that that you came out yesterday and went, man, what a cannon. What a physical play he made there. You came out of there and went, man, mentally, he looked like a veteran on the football field yesterday. And I think that's where you take a lot of encouragement moving forward if you're a Tennessee fan. And I think, like you pointed out, just instinctively, his game more mirrors what Hendon Hooker brought to Tennessee than Joe Milton. Because if you if you said, what is the key difference between Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton? It's that Hendon had that improvisational skill that Joe maybe just didn't. Yeah, and I think in this offense, there are going to be times, um, Andy, where a guy's just cut loose, right? I mean, they just they get you, right? So you, you're going to get a free runner at you, a free edge blitzer or something. Can you make a play off of that, whether it's with your arm, whether that's spinning out with your legs? What is that? Can you make that play there? Hendon Hooker was fantastic at it, okay? We talked about that two years ago. I mean, I mean, heck, he made a play in the Florida game at the end of the first half. I'm still not sure how he made the improv there. Nico has that ability, okay, because he's everything's got a burst to it, right? There's a suddenness to it. He can – he can stop on a dime. He's got a quick enough release. He can get it out if somebody's in his face. Uh, he makes quick decisions. He, he's, he can accelerate quickly. There's a lot of things he can do that can get you out of trouble. And, and I think that's what Hendon did well. And, and I think that is th- that helps this offense really hum along. I know they can win with a variety of quarterbacks. Josh Heupel's stated that. And he's done that. But I think when you talk about prototypical, how do you make one up, whatever – this guy's got a lot of what you're looking for in that prototype. Speaking of helping the offense, there was some news on Tuesday that sounds like it will help the, the Tennessee offense tremendously. Brew McCoy season ended prematurely because of a pretty nasty injury. He's coming back rather than go to the NFL. Yeah, and I think, you know, for Brew, it's it's a couple things. One, the NFL, I think, just wants, would want to see him healthy and I think to help his stock, he's going to have to show them that he's healthy over a longer period of time. And returning to college football made the most sense. He really likes it in Knoxville. Knoxville's been a great fit for him. Uh, he's been a great fit for the community and for the team, uh, for the locker room. I, I think it's a it's a great get for Tennessee. 
Uh, Nico said publicly at the bowl site he was recruiting Brew hard to come back. He wanted him back to make Brew feel really old. Nino, Nico has talked about how much he enjoyed watching Brew play in high school growing up because they're from California. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and so now they're going to play together. He wants to play with him. They have a really good rapport. I, I think Brew helped Nico in his adjustment from the West Coast to Knoxville. I think the two have gotten along really well, and I think they will play off of each other well. And then you look at the receiver room and where they are, Andy. Mike Matthews is a five-star um, athlete who's coming in, who, who did some really good things at the Under Armour deal and, and at, at bowl practice for Tennessee. Um, you're talking about Braylon Staley, who's coming in as well. They bring in the Brazel kid from Tulane as a transfer. It's a pretty young room when you look at where they are. So to have a veteran who goes about his business as a pro every day on and off the field at 23 years of age is a real nice comfort level for Josh Heupel in the locker room, in the meeting room to help those young guys get ready to play. Speaking of Josh Heupel, next time you see him, thank him for not kicking that last field goal for, for letting the time run out. Because on this show, we always pick the Iowa total. And it was 36 and a half in this game. And that kept that score 35, nothing. So Josh Heupel, uh, you, yeah. you've done service to the listeners of this show. There's some, there are some people in the stands who do not agree with your viewpoint on that because <laughs> there were, there were a lot of people have, who had gone at that point and, and Gaston Moore's throwing it. And I'm looking in the Iowa section and there's not a ton of people gnashing teeth and pointing and screaming like, why are you still throwing it? And then it got down there to a chance on fourth down. What are you going to do? You're going to go for it, or what? You're going to kick, or what? And there were literal cat calls from all around that stadium at Camping World Stadium, going, "Kick the field goal! Kick the field goal!" Because some people had the over. <laughs> Will they never learn? Will they never learn? Do you not just love <laughs> college football? I mean, your your team got beat thirty-five nothing, and you're like. In this offense, but hey, kick the field goal so I can, so I can hit it. It'll help the ride back home. You know what I mean? It's like just let us have this. <laughs> it was unbelievable, Brett. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it, man. That's Brent Hubs. A lot to look forward to in Knoxville. Going to be a very interesting offseason, and yeah, people are going to be pumped. They got this bull bump last year from Joe Milton against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Probably going to be as intense or more with how Tennessee played against Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. But I do think there is reason to be excited. And, and this is one of those situations where you've been excited about this QB for two years. You've been waiting to see what he could do. And now you finally got a taste of it. It's very intriguing. But we'll see if Nico can get it done against a very tough Tennessee schedule in 2024. I bet he's glad James Pierce is also on his team because that dude is awesome thank you so much for watching been a fun day but i now have a request of you we haven't done a dear andy show in two weeks it's wednesday tomorrow it's dear andy day so send those questions in hit me up twitter and instagram andy underscore staples or Andy Staples on three at gmail.com. Don't forget to turn the camera on yourself if you would like to be marginally internet famous for a few minutes. I love your questions. And given all that's happened, I imagine you have a lot that you want to ask about. And I'm very intrigued to see where you take it. So 
Hit me up for Dear Andy. Andy underscore Staples on Twitter and Instagram. Also, on 3 at gmail.com. Send those questions in, and we will answer the best of them on Wednesday's show. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.